Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you this morning. I hope you brought your Bible. If you didn't, there might be one in a chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and read it regularly. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, okay? So get your Bibles out. There's a note sheet out. Uh, you can follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Uh, when I was preparing my sermon schedule uh, last, uh, late last winter for the summer and for the fall, uh, thinking and praying about where we were going as a church, I gave a lot of uh, op uh, potential to skipping this section of Scripture, all right? Uh, so those of you who know what this section's about, you're already giggling, okay? And, uh, and so as I read and, and reread, and, and uh, I, I just I wasn't sure, man, how am I going to cover this? And uh, the reason I didn't skip it, and one of the reasons, and so if you're new at Coastal and you're like, I can't believe I'm about to hear a sermon on this, um, one of the reasons I didn't skip it is I think there's a tremendous value both for me personally and for us as a church uh, to wrestle through difficult passages of Scripture. Uh, it's one of the reasons that uh, at least once a year, if not twice a year, I take us through a book of the Bible so that we have to cover it all, right? And, and we have to, with our minds and with our hearts and with the power of the Holy Spirit, try to understand it and, and, and apply it to our lives and to our community of faith. So if you're a guest this morning, this one's a little bit unusual, but, but I just gave you my reason, right? And so I'm going to be using this morning words like authority and submission and head coverings, especially as applied to females taught by a man. What could go wrong? That was my thought, right? So here we go, all right? Um, this is hands down, in my opinion, uh, the most difficult section of this letter uh, to this church of Corinth. Now, um, if you're new this morning, we've been dealing with this church that the Apostle Paul planted uh, along with some other uh, leaders, and this church was very dysfunctional, it was very broken. And so Paul is writing this letter to bring this church in unity so that they would understand they could function as one, that's the theme, uh, for the good and for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so chapter 11 all the way through chapter 14 is, I believe Paul is mostly dealing with the corporate worship service. This 
this church is having problems when they gather corporately. And so he's addressing some of the concerns uh, inside of what's going on corporately. And so, you know, this, this section for me, uh, I gave a lot of attention to. I've, given a, I've done a lot of reading and tried to understand it as best I could. Uh, and this one and probably chapter 14, which I'm going to cover in a couple weeks when we're going to deal with tongues. You know, I've given a ton of attention to that. And, and, and you know, and we're going to unpack these together, okay? And so here we've got this church, and, and this is a difficult part. It's difficult to interpret. In fact, it's difficult to know what is culturally specific. Like, is Paul dealing with something that's very cultural to the Corinthian church, the, the city of Corinth, and in this local setting? And what out of this passage should we draw out and, and apply to today, okay? And, 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 what, and so my attempt this morning is to pull out the bigger principles and apply them to hopefully all generations, keeping in mind that the goal is for this church of Corinth to function as one body in unity. Okay, and so he's dealing with this issue of head coverings, okay, and women wearing them or not wearing. I, I had one person on the way in suggest this morning that a great illustration would have been to pass out head coverings as people came in this morning and see how that went over, all right? And so because of the challenge of this passage, I'm going to use an interpretive principle. And, and this is a principle, by the way, uh, that I often use. I don't always articulate it or tell it to the congregation. I'm going to be using it in chapter 14, okay? And the hermeneutical principle or the interpretive principle that we often use at Coastal when interpreting the Bible is we let the clear passages of Scripture help us interpret more unclear passages of Scripture. Now, uh, some of you who have already contemplated that, you're like, well, how do you determine which ones are clear and which ones are unclear? That that is the difficult question sometimes in biblical interpretation, okay? But because that's the principle that I use, okay, I am going to um, bringing in some other passages of Scripture that I think will reveal a general principle that Paul not only teaches the Corinthian church, but all the churches that he's planting and overseeing, okay? And so I think this passage of Scripture really falls under where we ended last week, okay? Because now we're getting into the corporate worship, and Paul is trying to help this church think how they can function together in unity when they gather corporately. And so I think it falls under 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And so if you have your Bible open or you see this on the screen, okay, then where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, how do you do it? For what, church? For the glory of God. That means for the worship and for the praise of God. This is one of my verses that when I was a young man, I kind of adopted into my thinking. This was an aha verse for me when I was about 16 years old. And I began to realize, you know what? No matter what we do in life, it, it can be done as worship unto the Lord. And so Paul says in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. And so he's building this case. So there's this, the new covenant. And one part of the mystery or the newness of the new covenant was that God was now grafting in the Gentiles to be his people. Okay, and so now we have in this, this new movement, it wouldn't be entirely new, but, but it was radically new because Paul was now the missionary to the Gentiles and he's going to these cities where there would be pockets of Judaism and they're, become, they're converting to Christ. And so under the roof or in the corporate gathering, I mean, you've got Jews and Gentiles. I mean, this is a clash of cultures. And so Paul is saying when we gather together culturally, we want to do all that we can to not give offense, but rather stay focused on the word worship of God. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I'm not trying to seek my own advantage, 
but that many, that they may be saved. And so Paul says, well, you know, one of the ways that we bring glory to God is the presentation of the gospel, that people would be saved, evangelism, if you will. And, and so, you know, God is glorified in all things. He's certainly glorified when we take the gospel and move it forward. And Paul's saying, look, I try to do everything that I can. I try to evaluate culture through the lens as I don't want to hinder the work and the movement of the gospel, and so, you know, chapters uh, eight, nine, and 10, he says, there's things that are maybe gray areas in life that I'm willing to give up easily so that the gospel will go forward through my life so that others may be saved from the penalty of their sin and know the gospel of Jesus. Like Nate just did a great job of reminding us, man, God, we get to reconnect with our creator through Christ. We get to enter into his presence, not as rebels, but as children. And, and as believers, my hope is that you want to see that message and that opportunity go forward. I was sitting here thinking as we were singing that last song, as, as Nate did an excellent introduction to the chorus, you know, and through Hebrews 4, and I was thinking about all my friends that I know that don't have that connection to their creator because they have not yet bent the knee to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my heart ached. And I was like, man, it'd be great if every person on this peninsula knew Christ and knew how great it would be to have access to their creator. Wouldn't that be great? I want Marty. Me and Marty think it's great, all right? Wouldn't that be great? Absolutely, yes. And so Paul says, man, there's things in life that I lay down so that the message of the gospel will go forward. They, these there's things in life that really don't have a hold on me. They're lesser things so that Christ, God can use me to take Christ forward. And so I think chapter 11 is kind of under this umbrella, okay? And so Paul, he's gonna be dealing with what submission looks like and he makes the point right out of the gate that submission and authority come from the nature of God. If, if you don't understand the nature of God, then you're gonna rebel against submission and authority. This is one of the reasons the doctrine of the Trinity is so essential to our understanding of how we function with one another, there's submission in the Godhead. It's not of person, okay, but it's a function. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two, Paul says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the truth. By the way, this is one of the few commendations that Paul's given throughout this letter. Because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But, verse three, I want you to understand that the head of every man is what, church? It's Christ, right? And the head of every wife is her what? Husband. And the head of Christ is who? God, his heavenly father. So in other words, Paul is building kind of this, this functional order in our lives and he's spelling that out and he's saying, if you do not understand that functional order comes from the Godhead, then it's gonna be misconstrued. And so he ends with this idea that Jesus is ultimately our example of functional submission. And if, if you're here this morning, as I go, I'm actually gonna give you a list of some of the ways the scripture tells us to submit to one another in our communities, in our spiritual community, and in the community as a whole. If that gives you heartburn, it's because you don't understand God. You don't understand the Trinity. Jesus Christ submitted to the will of his Father. In fact, as soon as I use the word submission, some of you all immediately tune me out. Yes, tune me back in, all right? Because we, we don't like to hear about the word submission. 
And the reason is, I believe, it, it gets to our original problem, our original sin under the federal headship of Adam and Eve who led us into sin, the very first sin had everything to do with the idea, I don't want to submit to the word of God. I want to do it the way I want to do it. And that has been a problem through every generation. We don't like to have anyone lord or be our boss, right? You ever, you ever sent one of your children to go get one of your other children, like for dinner or something, right? And the other child is involved in play or whatever. And he's like, hey, go get your brother, go get your sister. And they run up to get him, and the other sibling says, what? You're, you're not the boss of me. Like, we don't outgrow that, do we? Like, we get before God, you're not the boss of me. I'll do what I want. We don't like submission. Did you know that you cannot be saved from the penalty of your sin? You cannot be a Christian without submission. It's the, it's the step of receiving the gospel. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Sit say there, church. Lord. Lord's not his last name. Lord is a position. You can't be a Christian unless Jesus is your boss. Unless you turn from your sin and say, you know what? God, you know better than me. And your son Jesus is now my boss and he has final say over my life. I submit my life to the lordship of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. When I was growing up, there was this huge debate about what was called like kind of lordship theology. You become a Christian and later Jesus become Lord. I'm like, no, Jesus is Lord and a Christian acknowledges that. Now in our process of sanctification, we're growing in our understanding of that to be sure. As a Christian, when we continue to in sin, uh, what we're failing to acknowledge, what we're not doing is giving Christ lordship over particular areas of our lives. But to be a Christian, he is Lord. And you can't be a Christian without submission to Christ. And Jesus is our example, and submission and authority flow from the Godhead. That's why Philippians 2 is such an important passage of Scripture. You could write that down and read it later today, okay, about how Christ did not consider equality with God something to be like held on firmly, right? But he, he gave those up to, took on flesh. You can read that later. Jesus is our example. The second thing about submission and authority is that, that the Bible is full of the idea of what I call functional submission. That functionally, the word of God calls us to submit to others here in our journey through life. There's submission in our homes. In order to have a well-ordered home, there's, there's an order. There's a functional order. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submission to your husband is not because he deserves it all the time. More often than not, he doesn't. Submission to your husband is, is a... Worship to Christ. And by the way, I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman that worships the Lord and humbly submits to my leadership. And I can tell you, I am not worthy of that. She does it because she loves Christ. That's why singles, I always tell you singles, if, you, if the Lord is leading you to get married, make sure that you find someone that's fired up about Christ first and foremost, 
Because when you marry someone, you know, my wife always say, man, I'm so quirky. And 20 some plus years of marriage, she's, she's not a great wife to me because I deserve it. She's a great wife to me because she's a worshiper of Christ above all else. And hopefully I'm growing to be the same to her. And man, I don't have time. I, this morning I got to leave to the table a little bit. And ladies, I know you want me to hit the men. I feel like I hit them a lot. Okay, but, but you know, you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And when, when I get a married couple that's struggling, they come into my office, I mean, and I meet with each of them separately. I, this is what I preach to both of them. Start, you know, start with a man. You gotta love your wife the way Christ loves the church. Man, if you're walking around your house preaching submission, you're not doing it right. You're not loving her the way Christ loves the church. There's functional order inside the home. There's functional order around the children. Ephesians chapter six, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Young people, it's your job to obey your parents. It's your job to honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. There's functional order in the home. And you're to obey children and you're to honor your parents. Now, you know, I think a lot of us think, well, once I'm 18, man, I'm an adult. Here's, here's my dividing line of how much you need to obey and honor still, ready, inside the home. If you're still receiving a check from mom and dad, you need to obey. How about that? Yes. They still have authority. But when you're paying your own apartment, your own cable bill and your own health care, and you're feeding yourself, do what you want. But until then, you need to obey and you need to honor. There's a functional order. We, there's a functional submission in our culture. We're, we're to submit to our government. We're to submit to our government. Did you know that? Romans chapter 13, the apostle Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist, in other words, all the governing authorities exist, they've been instituted by God. Did you know that the president that you didn't vote for that becomes the president is put there because God put them there, right? So you can cut with the, man, I'm gonna tear them down all the time. Why? Because God, the person that's president of the United States is there because God put them there. There's no authority except... From God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, this next verse may, and the next part of this verse may smack against the Revolutionary War. Now I'm meddling, right? Because those who resist will what, church? Incur judgment. And by the way, unless you think I'm being like, Sean, you're being crazy. Like I think in the DNA of American culture is this idea that we can throw off government whenever we want to. It's in our DNA. And I want you to see the model of Jesus. Read, write this down in your note sheet. You can read the whole, you should read the whole chapter. Of course, read it from the, from the idea of Christ, but I want you to read it from the idea of submission to government. John chapter 19 Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate and it's this amazing exchange, right? And you can see in the text that Pontius Pilate is beginning to wrestle with maybe Jesus is who he says he is. And he can't get any answers from Jesus. He keeps asking Jesus questions and Jesus just won't answer him. 
Why? Because he was submitted to the will of the Father. He knew what he had to do. He had to face the cross, right? So he won't give any answers. And this is, at one point, what Pilate decides to do then, I'll know what I'll do. I'll use my authority. I'm in charge of this land, okay? So Pilate says in verse 10, so Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? So in other words, Pontius Pilate is like being the big boy now. I'm in charge. And Jesus does something incredibly intimidating and Pilate gets it. He actually gets intimidated if I were to read the rest of this passage. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Whew. Jesus, in other words, says, I'm submitting to you, Pilate. You don't have, your authority has everything to do with who gave it to you. God gave you authority. Now I'm submitting to you. Do what you need to do, essentially. You'll answer to God for it. Wow, right? There's functional order in our culture. There's functional order and submission in church leadership. There's functional order in your church leadership. So when you become a member of the church, your, your leaders have a responsibility. Hebrews 13, 17. The author of Hebrews says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And in this passage, we're, we're reminded that the leaders give an account, right? And so if you're in this room and you're leading anything, if you're leading your home, man, if you're leading a ministry, you're gonna give an account of how you use your leadership to honor the Lord. Let them do it with joy. It's talking about those that submit to the church leadership. So the leaders will give an account, but to the church, let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage of, to you. Now, throughout Scripture, there's this expectation of mutual submission that's one another's. And so Paul here, I think, and so now we're gonna get into head coverings and hair and women and all that, but I think we, we take this and we don't understand the ancient Near Eastern culture. Paul here is not being bigoted. And he's not being a sexist. In fact, what Paul is teaching here is shocking. It's shocking. We don't get it because we're 2,000 years removed, okay? But in ancient Near Eastern culture, women had no rights. Women could not be educated. Women couldn't gather corporately and worship and learn. And Paul here is actually opening the door to women, but because the culture had never worshiped or ever been a part of an educational setting, okay, Paul is just giving some instructions. Hey, I gotta be clear, this is what it looks like. It's new. And by the way, Christianity has always been on the forefront of liberating women and minorities, always. And we live in a culture where Christianity is being put down as backwoods. No, Christianity is the forefront of liberation. And if you don't believe, I would say to people, if you don't believe me, go to a culture that's dominated by Islam and see how minorities are treated. It's not Islam that's the great hope of the world. It's Christianity that's the great hope of the world from a social perspective. And in this time, women were, in, were second-class citizens, usually thought of as property. In fact, if a woman saw a crime and she was called as a witness into the local court systems, the, 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 uh, the, the, the testimony would be put out because her, what she saw didn't count in the court of law, which is super fascinating when you read Luke and Jesus rose from the dead. Who were the first witnesses he appeared to? What? Women, right? Why? That's awesome because he was liberating women from the oppression of the culture. And so Paul's not talking about 
second-class citizen, Paul is opening the door to the inclusion of women, but also recognizing the need for cultural purity and honor inside of the church, okay? And so what he's doing now is giving instructions to both men and women of what the corporate church gathering should look like. Does that make sense? You all with me? So 1 Corinthians 11, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it's the same as if her head were shaven. Verse 6, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or to shave her head, let her cover her head. And then he comes back to this at the end in verse 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory for her hair is given to her for her covering. Here's what I think Paul is doing. This is less about long hair and short hair. What I think he is doing is saying we need to respect the cultural gender differences, okay? I don't think we know all the ins and outs of this Corinthian culture, but we do know that the gender controversy that's plaguing our culture is nothing new. A rebellion against our gender differences has always been a rebellion against God's design. It goes all the way back to the Corinthian church and it's plaguing our culture now, right? In fact, in our culture, what we're trying to do is make all, to make gender not a thing. Gender's a thing. I know some of you want to laugh. Gender's a thing. We actually are different. Isn't that crazy? Some of y'all don't even know that should be funny that we're laughing at that. You're afraid to laugh because the culture's talking, what? That's radical. You know, there's differences between men and women. See, si. yes, all right, that's me speaking Spanish. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> but in Christianity, we recognize our differences and we celebrate our differences. It's not pitting one against another. And so the issue here is much less about head coverings and hair as it is rebelling against God's design and recognizing the differences between genders. And what Paul is saying is when you gather corporately, again, he's instructing women who've never been in a cultural setting like this, a corporate setting, they weren't allowed up to this point in history for the most part. Okay, he's saying, women, don't draw so much attention to yourself in the corporate gathering as by what you are or are not wearing or by, by how you're wearing your hair. Now, culture changes, okay, and and therefore how we draw attention to ourselves by our dress changes from culture to culture, but we should be aware in this culture that we want to dress in such ways that we're not drawing undue attention to ourselves. I, uh, before the service, and since he's in this service, I'll just throw him under the bus, and then when he's not, I'll throw him under the bus the next two. Jordan Barnett, our guitarist, was playing, and we were in the back praying before, and he had shorts on, and I was like, whoa, man, those are some white legs. And, uh, and so I was hoping he would play in shorts this morning, and he was going to be my illustration that, yeah, you can wear shorts, but you're drawing undue attention to yourself. You're scaring us, okay? He said, don't worry, I'm putting pants on. All right, so there we go. I think that's kind of the principle that when we gather corporately, where is the attention supposed to be? Glory to God, right? And so we have to, we need to think of others in the way that we dress, in the way that we wear our hair. We want to make sure that the attention is firmly on Christ. First Timothy 2, 
Paul, in the church of Ephesus, he does something very similar in verse nine. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. By the way, I think that's the general principle that applies to all generations. Now he gets specific to the culture, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but what with, now it comes back to the general principle, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I believe Paul is liberating women to join men in an unprecedented way in ancient Near Eastern culture, but he's simply reminding them that when they gather, the attention should be on Christ, okay? Now, while I've suggested this is less about head coverings and hair length and jewelry, I would suggest, here's where it gets dangerous, a man speaking into this, but I'm gonna speak into it, okay? I would suggest that when we gather corporately, ladies, we should be cautious of length of dresses, cut of blouses, and tightness of clothing. Why? Because we want our brothers to focus on Christ. Now, I know the stone that can be thrown at me is like, well, they should, and they need, yeah, agreed. Agreed, they should, and they need to watch, and but I also think that we should be able to gather in a safe place where we all recognize, man, the goal is to focus on Christ. Everybody with me? All right, save the emails. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> Why? Because when we gather, the focus is on the glory of God. That's what Paul's promoting. He promoted it in chapter 10, verse 31, and he's promoting it here in chapter 11, verse 7 through 10. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is in the image and glory of God, but a woman is in the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for... That's, that's Genesis, by the way, right? Where God created Eve out of Adam. Okay, verse nine. And neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Again, he's saying the focus is Christ. There are differences between the roles of men and women. We have to understand Genesis 1 and 2 for this. That's why we're going through Genesis in, in, around January. We've been doing that, okay? And this theme is traced throughout the New Testament. Men, you shouldn't be disgracing Christ in your leadership in your home. I, I want to tell, tell you men something. <clears throat> uh, a lot of us pastors and other leaders at Coastal, I mean, we do a lot of marriage counseling and we pray for marriages at Coastal frequently. But men, your, your wife is dying for you to lead spiritually. I mean, I, I've, never, I've never met a woman at Coastal that's a godly woman that said, man, I, you know, he's, he's just burdening me with saying, let's get up and go to church. No, she's done. Your wife, man, are tired of on Saturday night going, are we going to church tomorrow? She wants it to be assumed that you're leading the home. I hear this over and over and over where a lady will come to me and go, man, I just wish my husband would want to be in a small group. I'm always shocked at what many of the married godly women in this church want from their husband. It's so simple. You're making it so complicated. She wants you to lead in saying we're going to church. She wants you to lead in being a part of a small group. She wants you once in a while at your home to grab her hand and pray together. That's about it. It's just not that hard. 
but you've relegated it to her. And, and for you, it's starting to feel like she's nagging. No, she wants you to lead in spiritual things. And she's not asking that much. And you're going to be surprised what that does in your marriage when you give just a little attention to saying, man, I'm, I'm going to lead my home spiritually. And men, you're disgracing Christ. And ladies, it's your job to not belittle the role of your husband. Give him an attaboy when he does that. Give him an attaboy when he says, hey, let's go to church. I thank, I thank you for doing that. I appreciate that, right? Which is why Paul says at the end of the day, for functional order in the home, there needs to be mutual submission. There's mutual submissions throughout the scriptures. Verse 11, mutual submission. Paul says in chapter 11, verse 11, nevertheless, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he said, first woman created out of Adam, but now every man has been birthed through a woman. Okay, hopefully that's not a new biology class to you. Okay, And, and so now there's this interdependence. And Paul says this mutual submission reflects the very image of God. This is where you got to know Genesis, right? Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How does, our, how does our gender reflect God? Male and female. The interdependence of men and women is, reflects the very nature of God. It takes both sexes to reflect the image of God. Order in scripture is functional order. It's not personhood or one person being superior of another person. And Paul's saying that because of this interdependence, there's, there's no place for discrimination. Functional order does not mean that there's, play, there's room for discrimination. Scripture always reminds us to honor our differences in our church, whether it be the sexes, the cultures, the skin colors. Our differences should be honored. We need each other. We need different cultures. We need different skin colors. We need both sexes to be all that God wants us to be. And finally, what I think Paul's doing here is he's addressing when culture and corporate worship collide. And by the way, that does happen, right? When culture and corporate worship collide. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. judge for yourselves. Is it, not, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, you, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Here's what Paul believe he is bringing caution to needless personal attention during corporate worship. I think he's giving caution to when we gather corporately, the goal is not to say, wow, look at me. The goal is to gather corporately and say, man, let's focus on Christ. Let's focus on the gospel. Now, Paul here is being general. He's not being specific giving some generalities I think are generally true, right? So those of you who want to get, so, so I'm going to say something here. And I, I run the risk of being labeled a Neanderthal, but I decided that it's worth it. Here we go. You ready? I've brought up three children, two boys and a girl. I, I, 
it's shocking to me their general differences between the sexes. They're general. I, I don't ever remember sitting down with my daughter and teaching her to play with dolls and braid hair and paint nails. Again, I know it's general. And somebody's like, man, I got a daughter. I get all that. I'm, please, I'm, I'm broad brushing for a moment, okay? But there was a, they were different. They were just different. And it's generally true. And Paul says when we gather corporately, generally, we should not be drawing the attention of what culture says a man or a woman should look like and not, and not be rebelling against genders. We should be able to, to, to gather corporately with the focus being on Christ and not draw attention unnecessarily by your unique culturally wowing hairstyle, right? Whoa, that's amazing. Let's, like that shouldn't be the attention or the focus, or your, the way you dress. Now, again, these things are not necessarily wrong, but the, when we gather as believers, and again, this goes back to Paul saying, I lay some things down for the good of the community, right? And for the good of the gospel going forward. By the way, I also think this applies to worship expression, especially during music, right? Let me, let me just address this for a minute. Different church communities and cultures worship in different expressions. I, uh, this past, last summer, I got, had a great opportunity to go to, to Zimbabwe, Africa, and it was incredible. And, and Zimbabwe is, is a culture of movement. They, they express in movement all over the culture. They dance frequently. It's a it's a, it's a, the, for the man that went with us, you know, you probably would say, yeah, I think, I, hopefully I'm speaking truthfully, like there was just a joyful expression of movement everywhere you went in African culture. And so uh, there was dance at weddings, there was dance at funerals, there was dance in the community. So how do you think they worship during songs? How do you think they worship? A lot of movement, right? And, and for a guy like me who can't clap and sing at the same time, this is incredibly difficult to fit in, right? As I, I just chose to like, you know, sit back and watch. But, but if I were to leave Africa and say, man, that's how Yorktown, Virginia should worship, it's probably not being wise, right? And I will tell you this, like even, even in America, church cultures worship differently. And that's okay, and that's good, and it's healthy, if I went to a really traditional church and those believers are worshiping Christ in their cultural way and I walk in and at the end of every song, I kind of do a coastal thing. Woo! Man, I love that. And I'm the only one sitting up front going, woo! What would I be doing? I'd be bringing attention to myself, Right? And so coastal, you know, I always, one of the things I love about the contemporary church is like, man, I go to this church because, man, we have freedom. We just worship, we got freedom, so much freedom. I've been in coastal for 20 years. Listen, we got our way, all right? We do the same thing at the same spot in the service at the same way, right? It ain't as much freedom as you think. It's just we've developed our own culture and that's okay. I'm not throwing our culture down. I'm just saying we've kind of got our way. And if you want to come in and do it a different way, you have to be cautious that you don't draw too much attention to yourself because the goal is for this body of believers to be one and stay focused on Christ. So honestly, if you get in the middle of a song coastal and you start shouting out because that's where the church came from, like it's just going to be to our culture, we're going to go, what is going on? 
right? And so we need to be attentive, and rightfully so, to how churches worship corporately. And some of it's cultural, yes. And I'm not even saying you don't shake up a culture from time to time, but that will come from the spiritual leadership, okay, of that church, because they're going to be responsible for that. But I think we need to be careful when we go into another community of faith, like to be sensitive. Man, how does that church culturally worship? So that I'm not drawing attention to ourselves, because I think what Paul's saying here is our preferences, hairstyles, clothing, things like that, can affect others. Our preferences can affect others. And I think Paul's pulling the idea out here that basically we're not going to fight about preferences, And he says this is a general principle that goes across all the churches. But the principle is when we gather corporately, we want the attention to be on Christ above all else. Not upon me, not upon the way I worship, not upon clothing, not upon hairstyle, not upon externals. We want the focus to be on Christ. When we first started this church, we had an elder who's now... Uh, years ago, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, he was our oldest elder, okay? And he came on board as an elder probably in his mid to late 70s and served for into his 80s. I don't remember exactly as an elder of this church. And he grew up in a very quiet, more traditional setting. But he came to our church because he, he said, man, I love the focus and attention on reaching the peninsula with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that we preach the word unashamedly. I love that, that we, when people walk through the door, we never judge where they are. We just want them to know Christ, right? And he loved all that. And he would often say to me, I hate the music and the way we do music at this church. But I love this church, right? Why? Because it just wasn't his way. But he was mature enough to say, man, it's it's not about that for me. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward. And he was able to lay down a preference for the good of the gospel going forward. And sometimes, I man, we get all sideways because of a preference. And I want to encourage us, we need to mature. And so I want to finish with this. At Coastal Community Church, the goal of the corporate Gathering is not to draw attention to ourselves. And by the way, I'm going to use this same principle when we get to chapter 14. We talk about tongues and gifting. A gift is for the good of the body. The goal is to function in such a way that Christ is exalted, that we fellowship, that the word is preached that we sing together corporately with the goal and the focus of Jesus Christ being exalted above all else. That's the goal. That's the goal, that we gather corporately and focus on our Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this difficult passage. I'm sure a lot of people are gonna go home and wrestle with it. God, I've wrestled with it. Help us when we gather corporately, say, you know what, it's not about me, it's it's about the exaltation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave up his rights, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but to be held loosely for the, the will of his Father could be done through his life. 
And so help us, God, to have that same mindset when we gather corporately, God, that we gather corporately to worship, to hear the word, to build the fellowship, so that when people come in our midst, whether it's a believer, a believer can be encouraged in the gospel and an unbeliever can understand the gospel. So that in all things, Christ will be exalted. It's our goal, it's our prayer, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.